0: Good morning, afternoon, or evening, Darklings, and welcome to Once Upon a Terror. I'm your host, Adelina Hill, and I'm here to read you a terror tale or two. Today I have two little excerpts from two different books that I finished reading. I've been reading a lot this week of little horror novels that I've been reading on my Kindle. Um, So yeah, let's get into it. Once Upon a Time. novel excerpt is going to be from the book called Mothered by Zoj Stage. I believe that's how you pronounce it. This novel has been all over my TikTok for you page, so I thought I'd give it a read. It is creepy, twisty, turny, absolutely will give you nightmares and make you question your own mother's sanity. So... Let's get into it. Silas loved a good puzzle, especially if it involved the interlocking pieces of science and soul, the known and the unknown. What made a human being turn monstrous? An error in prenatal development, a misalignment of chemicals, an insufficient ability to adapt to misfortune, too much of one thing and too little of something else. As a psychotherapist, he'd never utter the words monster or crazy aloud. More than ever, the world was aware of the synergy of illness in an individual, in a society. But in truth, his path to working with the criminally insane began with the teenage passion for serial killer movies and horror stories. He'd once imagined a state hospital as a barbaric castle where screams echoed in shadowed hallways. Now he knew it as more as a prosaic place, an office park that wouldn't look out of place in the former Soviet Union, surrounded by rolling fields of clipped grass where no one ever ran or played. Each building had harsh lighting and its own litany of rules, though one building had more locking doors than the others. The folder in front of him carried a mystery in its thin, fresh pages. He'd met the new patient only once, and the details of her case made it all the more confounding as to how someone so frail had committed an act of such brutality. Silas pondered it as he turned his attention to the gloom outside his window. He tried to keep his office clean and bright, with framed pictures as colorful as a child's xylophone to counter the effects of the gray clouds that invaded the western Pennsylvania skies with mournful frequency. Homicides within a family weren't that unusual. But this. The file didn't have enough information. But he turned back to it, looking for whatever clues it held. Blood had dripped from the walls, the police photos revealed the chaotic scene, and Silas was sure the two had fought, physically and ferociously, no quick slicing opening the throat while the victim lay asleep. Overkill wasn't uncommon in crimes of passion, where love and hate bred a frenzy of mixed emotions, deep and personal. But 91 stab wounds? How long had that taken? How had those thin arms had so much strength? The detectives found four knives at the scene. Two had broken from repeated forceful use. One was embedded in the skull. Silas looked away again, this time becoming the murder scene was threatening to dislodge the chipped ham sandwich he'd eaten for lunch. He could taste the salt and mayonnaise rising in his throat. I had to do it. She was contagious, her greeting as she opened the door to let the police in. Emissima of Decay had wafted out like a poisonous cloud, making the uniform officers gag. How had she lived with the stench, and why? Most people, if they were going to report their own crime, would do it right after the fact. Not wait two weeks while living with the corpse. Her excuse, given days later, was that she'd been terribly ill. Too ill to make a phone call? But the first responders had quoted her as saying, It wasn't an emergency. I didn't want to bother anyone. It hadn't taken anyone long to reach the conclusion that she was mentally disturbed, and she was sent to Torrance, the region's only forensic psychiatric hospital. Silas grinned. Another tragedy shouldn't please him, but he couldn't help it. He loved a good puzzle, especially one that looked on the surface like the gory movies he still loved, but film and fiction weren't enough anymore. Now he craved the real thing and loved his role in revealing the perpetrator's story. From what he knew of her so far, she was communicative, and expressive and quick to open up. His job, as often as it was, would be to filter the drop of truth from the waterfall of magical thinking. He glanced upward at the clock. She would be brought to his office momentarily for her first session. Silas closed the folder and slid it into a drawer, A buzz with the nervous excitement of a boy who's mastered the art of trespassing. Our next and final novel excerpt is going to be from The Good Lie by A.R. Tor. I just finished reading this book not too long ago, and it was very unpredictable. And I think you should read it too. If you are into serial killers, solving mysteries, uh, a lawyer and a psychologist teaming up to figure out who who, who done it, basically. Uh, different point of views, twists and turns, and everything such as that, this is the book for you. The prestigious street still held secrets of the horror. The missing person flyers were tacked into the Canary Island palms, their colors faded from all the elements. The edges of them curled from rain and wind. The white brick mansion at the end of the street no longer had police cars parked in its circular drive. The press vans and cameras had slowly moved on to other stories. The iron gates, which had been necessary to keep the well-intentioned public at bay, were deserted. The weight of silence hung in the sunny Los Angeles air. Scott Hardin stumbled down the palm tree-lined sidewalk and towards the large gates. As he moved, the White House swayed before him, the view blurred by sweat burning the corner of his eyes. He mono- his monogram poloed shirt stained from weeks of wear stuck to his back bruises and cuts from the stiff rope circled both wrists and he quickened his steps moving into a jog as he grew closer to the home as blood oozed from the incision in his chest he staggered to a stop at the gate security panel he pressed the code into the keypad leaving bloody fingerprints behind the gates chimed and hummed as they slid open nita harden stood before the bathroom mirror and tried to find the energy and motivation to pick up her toothbrush. Her counter, once cluttered with perfumes and expensive cosmetics, was empty. Her blonde locks, which always had been kept up with biweekly visits to the salon, now had half-inch of dark gray roots. Wearing a black yoga suit that hung from her frame, she looked nothing like the put-together socialite who had clawed her way to the top echelon of Beverly Hills Society. Did that breath matter when your son was missing? Did anything when each day was just a horrible waiting game for someone to discover his body. The bloody heart killer was reliable. He kidnapped handsome and popular teenage boys like her Scott. He held each boy prisoner for a month or two, strangled them and mutilated their bodies, then discarded them like bags of trash. There had been six boys before Scott. Six naked bodies found, a heart carved into their chests. It had almost been seven weeks since Scott had disappeared. Any day, his body would show up and she would be called to the morgue to identify her son. The tones of their security system chimed, and she looked up from her toothbrush, listening as it played one of their custom sounds at the front gates. When they built their home, each of them had picked a unique gate code and notification sound. Every time she pulled her jaguar up to the gates and used her remotes or personal code, the gentle tinkling of bells would sound. Her husband's was a UCLA fight song. Scott's was a simple trill. Her toothbrush clattered into the sink as Scott's personal chime sounded through the large bathroom. A fresh pang of raw emotion ripped through her heart, and she let out a painful cry at the familiar ring, one she had taken for granted for years, one that instantly brought to mind Scott's big grin. He always came bounding in with his backpack slung over his shoulder, beelining for something to eat. She moved to the large window at the end of the bathroom and peered down at the front yard, expecting to see one of his friend's cars or the van of the cleaning crew or landscaper's any of whom Scott might have given his code to. No vehicle appeared through the foliage, and she cupped her hands to the glass and tried to see down to the entrance gates. A figure moved stiffly down the center of their crushed shell drive, one leg dragging a bit and drawing a long line behind him. Her breath caught painfully in her throat at the familiar gray polo, identical to the dozens that still hung in Scott's closet. His face was invisible, his attention forward, but she knew that build instantly. Whirling, she tripped over a copper clawed foot of the tub and fell to her knee. Hiccuping out a sob of emotion and pain, she bolted to her feet and through the arched opening that led to their bedroom. Barreling into the hall, she knocked past a maid as she rounded the staircase and sprinted down the stairs, her hand tight on the banister. Her vision blurred with tears. "'George!' she screamed, her head whipping in the direction of her husband's study, where he often worked from home. "'George!' Without pausing to see if he was home or had heard, she yanked at the heavy bronze handle of the front door and swung it open, far enough to squeeze out. Her bare foot churned against the crushed shells. The pain ignored, she tore down the middle of the drive, screaming out her son's name. Scott's head lifted as he staggered to a stop. His features exhausted as his mouth wobbled into a smile. He slowly lifted his arms, and she crashed into them. Her son, against all odds, was home. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I've still been very busy with stuff. Um, be sure to follow the podcast at Once Upon a Terror on Instagram. If you have something that you would like to submit, submit it to once upon a Terror at outlook.com. If you have something in specific that you would just like me to read or say on the podcast or have a shout out, you can email me at onceuponaterror at outlook.com. If you need the website. It is also available in the show notes and posted on the show's bio on Spotify and anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. That's all I have for you tonight, Darklings. Thank you for listening again. Good night.